Hey, what's up, Tom? What's up, brother? Hey, man. I want to uh, give a big thanks to uh, our sponsors uh, today. Thank you, Schedulicity. Thank you so much for doing what you do for our industry. You give so much love. You give so much love to us. We want to uh, thank you from the bottom of our heart. Well, uh, in 2019, they changed the industry, right? They changed the industry with both Schedulicity Cares by giving away $5,000 a month to a hairdresser and some barbers, right? And with Schedulicity Pays. Yeah, and Schedulicity Pays was huge. Ginormous. It, yeah, and, and it definitely, definitely will save you money. Yeah. No I mean, doubt. There's no doubt. I mean, a 1.99% processing fee and for $0.10 cents a, a swipe. I mean, you, do your research. You can't find better. No. And a free card reader. And a free card reader. That's right. <laughs> Which is integrated right into the app, right? So you don't have to leave the app. Everything is, uh, is right there for you. Yeah. And also, we want to bring to the family. Yeah. So uh, we're also excited to talk about uh, salon scales and welcome them. Um, and then they give you the price, which then in turn, you, you, uh, you, you forward to your, to your uh, client. So what they're doing is they're doing labor and product. So you charge for your labor, you know, you charge X amount, you know, per, per hour. And then you're also um, charging for your product, but they kind of walk you through that. But more importantly to me is you see exactly how much product you're using. And, and exactly how much product that, it, that it's costing you, right? So, like, I know, for instance, like, I was way undercharging, like, for either a gloss or, or, or for a toner because I was using more product than I was actually charging for it. So, you know, for years and years and years, I've been losing money with those services. Well, now I've, I've readjusted my, schedule, my, my pricing, so now I can, I can make some more money on, on, on those products. Or so, not lose money. <laughs> not lose money. Exactly. I mean, literally, it's crazy when you do a gloss and now it's costing you money. You know, that, that's, that's just silly to it's think like about. like taking your car to a mechanic and they charge you for labor and not for parts. Exactly. Right. You know, exactly. So now, now they've given us the ability to charge for that. Um, and, and again, just for me, the, the biggest aha for me was just the awareness of, of, of what these products are actually costing me because I had no clue before. A really, uh, another really cool thing about Salon Scales is that you just put in whatever product line that you're using. And, and it's already preset in the, uh, in the app. You just go to their website and you go, hey, I'm using this product line, that product line, this product line. And it just, it automatically puts it in the app for you. So when you're, when you're weighing your, your product, you just boop, 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 boop. And even if like, like because we're independent, what do you got to do? Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> because we're independent, you know, we use, we use, it's not just one product line that we use or one color line that we use. Like I use, um, I use Schwarzkopf uh, Lightner, but I use Redken um, uh, shades and it's, and you're able to put all those products in there so you can weigh exactly, uh, exactly what you, uh, what you want. So they're making it super easy for you. They're making it incredibly easy for you and you're saving money and you can actually make money because I think I said earlier, you can, you can set the price to whatever you want to charge for that. Meaning like if a tube of color is costing you $10, you can mark it up. So it's $20. So when you forward that to your client, that um, little bit of a, a, a margin there as well. It's, it's so great. Um, again, just thank you very much, Salon Scales. Thank you for being on board with us. And, uh, and we can't wait to see how you guys change the industry in 2020. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey and of course, sitting with my bud, Tom. What's up, man? What's going on, brother? Uh, not a whole bunch. I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited to get in today's story. 
yeah I, i'm i'm so curious where it's going to end up or where it's going you know yeah 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 completely so um, it can be a complete roller coaster ride it could be we'll, 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 we'll kind of we'll kind of we'll <laughs> i can't wait to get into it you know so um actually um we talked a little bit in pre-talk but um ultimately just how proud of the industry that, that i am um i think we just let's just lay it out so today we're talking to caitlin ford and and you know uh caitlin ford's going to tell her story but i think it was october 2018 she'll, she'll let us know the dates but i think it was october 2018 um uh, the the industry was asked to come together to support her and um and they did in a big way in a huge way in a huge way yeah and and once again i think that you know as much negative that's out there for social media I think that this is one of the shining spots of social media and how, you know, our, not only how our industries come together and we're, we're kind of playing as one, but also when, when asked to, uh, when asked to show up, they, 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 they tend to show up as well. Yeah. I mean, I did. I can't wait to get into the story and just, uh, just, just hear it, how she lived it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we, we, we've heard it, we've seen it from afar, but you know, it's her story and it's, 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 it's her emotions. It's all that. So let's get into that. So, um, you ready? Yeah. Cool. So, Miss Caitlin Ford, welcome to your day off. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Completely. Oh. Thank, thank you. I mean, again, thank <laughs> you so much for coming for coming on the show. Yeah. Oh thank yeah, you of for, course. Yeah, taking time out of your day and joining us. Yeah, of course. So yeah. So, where are you from? Where did you grow up? So I live in St. Louis, Missouri, but I um, and I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. I was born in Texas, though. Oh, Texas girl. And- what part? Uh, like the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Cowboys fan here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My dad's a big Cowboys fan, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your dad. That's awesome. <laughs> There's a lot of good hairdressing going on down in the Dallas area as well. Yeah, Texas has always been known for, for large hair, large right. and in charge. <laughs> Touche. So you, so you moved to St. Louis when you were a baby? Yeah, when I was really young, probably like four years old or so. Yep. Um, Moved back to Texas very briefly when I was like 15, between 15 and 16 years old. But that was like very brief. Other than that, I've lived in the St. Louis area pretty much my whole life. How was that? Because it's tough sometimes, especially at 15, moving, Mm -hmm. leaving all your homies behind. And that was hard. Yeah, that was definitely really hard. Yeah, for sure. I did that a few times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> That's so crazy. You, you have no homies because you move so many times. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Caitlin, what, um, how, how'd you find hairdressing? Did you find that in Dallas or did you find that in uh, like St. Louis? Um, I kind of like came, I think I really came into it when I was in Dallas, but I started getting into it when I was still in St. Louis. Um, when I was a teenager, I used to be like very experimental with my hair. I think that's probably like 99% of those of us who are hairdressers have kind of a similar story. You start hacking on your own hair when you're young, dyeing your own hair, and then your friends start asking you to do their hair. And then, you know, eventually you figure out, oh, you can actually make this into a profession. So, um, it happened to be that I had a couple of uh, hairdressers in my life who really inspired me when I saw that they made that into a career. Um, that was pr- pretty much how I decided, oh, yeah, I think that that sounds like a cool direction to go in. So did you join them? Uh, did you join them at, 
do it like an apprenticeship in a sh- shop or did you go to school? No. Uh-uh. Well, I did. I went to a hair school when I was 19. Well, that's cool. Were you always yeah. into the arts or was it just kind of the hair? I was always into the arts. Yeah. I always like drew and painted um, when I was younger. And that was pretty much how I came into hair as well. I just knew that I didn't want to work like a desk job. I knew that that wasn't going to be for me. I needed to do something like creative with my hands and stuff. And so hair seemed like the next best option. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So many, it's amazing, Caitlin, like how, just how many, like, how many of those stories are us, right? I mean, you oh, know, yeah. we've, done, we've done, I don't know, like 150, 160 episodes now. So, you know, we, we've talked to a lot of hairdressers and uh, mm-hmm. it's just kind of amazing. Like that, that seems to be the story, right? Yeah. Like what she said, like, I, I knew I didn't want to want to, I wish we could queue up every time somebody <laughs> said, I didn't want to be behind a desk. Right? Yeah. <laughs> or I needed something, <laughs> something yeah. else, you know, it's just kind of amazing how, you know, how many, how many people have been uh, saved or found or whatever in this industry. Oh yeah, for sure. Kind of crazy, isn't it? Uh, even though I'm not behind a desk, and every time I get behind my computer to do, you know, <laughs> book work or do whatever, uh, I still struggle. Oh, oh, I, oh yeah. I hate yes. this. Yeah, yeah, completely, <laughs> completely. Yeah. Yep. But we feel comfortable behind the phone. At least I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm much more comfortable using my thumbs than all my fingers. I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's hilarious. <laughs> So Caitlin, so uh, did you have a, uh, what was your journey kind of into um, like after hair school? Like, did you go into a salon and apprenticeship there? Um, so my very first salon that I worked at was actually Smart Style, which as I'm sure you guys have heard of, it's the salons that are inside of Walmart. So that was my very first salon job. I worked Aren't they owned by for, Regis? They're owned by Regis, yes. Um, so I worked there for like a, a year and a half or so. Um, and then I moved on to like a, like a nice salon. So it's like a a more local salon. I did do like an associate program there. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did, I did get some training through there and then I worked at another salon after that. And now I'm independent. Oh, that's awesome. Where did you, where did you kind of walk us through like, like your photography and stuff is so on point, Mm -hmm. um, on your Instagram. When did that, um, kind of, what was that journey like? Or you, were you always interested in, in photography or is it something that you knew that you had to pick up? Um, I had like some interest in it as far as like I always wanted to learn how to do it. Um, but definitely like doing doing the whole like Instagram hair game kind of pushed me to actually like learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um most of everything that I've learned with photography has been through YouTube. Every time people ask me, like, where do you go to learn how to do that stuff? Like nine times out of 10, everything that I've learned how to do is through YouTube. So that's where I kind of got my start with it. And then kind of just through understanding sort of like the concepts of how lighting is done and how cameras are set and all of that stuff, I was able to look at like other people's photos and kind of figure out like, how they're done and kind of use that as like inspiration in my own imagery. So that's kind of how I got started with that. 
That's pretty cool. Did you yeah. um w- walk us through your process? So like, what did you like take a class on YouTube or was it just like, oh, I want to learn how to do X and then you go and 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 do a search? Yeah, it's literally just I want to learn X and and doing it. I mean, like it's crazy. YouTube is amazing. You can learn how to do anything on there. I've learned how to like take apart our uh, our uh, disposal unit and our sink and put it back together on YouTube. Like literally anything you want to learn how to do, you can learn it on YouTube. It's crazy. It is kind of crazy. That's pretty cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I've done a lot of stuff on YouTube as well, like car repair and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 100%. Same. I, I learned so much. I rewired my thermostat uh, to my uh, to, to, to my AC mm-hmm. uh, unit because uh, they didn't have a wire connected, so I couldn't do a wireless uh, remote. And I learned how to, to do it on YouTube. Yeah, you can do anything on YouTube. Yeah. Literally anything. It's amazing. When YouTube first came out, it was just like it was almost like uh, you know, TikTok or something. It was just like goofy little stuff. And now it's like it's such a a, you know, a place to I mean, it's an education source. So do you see like something inspires you and you're like, hmm, I wonder how they did that. And then you just go research it so you learn how to do it, or or is it something that you like, oh, I wish I could do this and yeah, I mean, sometimes it'll start as like, I'll see like another image that kind of inspires me. And maybe there's a concept about that image that I'm like, Oh, I'd like to use that for this kind of look. And sometimes it's not even like images for hair specifically. Sometimes it's other fashion photography, um, and other aspects of photography. So sometimes that will like influence their direction. I want to take the hair in. And sometimes it's the other way around. It just kind of depends. That's the Picasso with you. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. Awesome. What, um, what's been your, uh, let's just talk about photography for now. What, what's been your mm-hmm. like biggest challenge or, you know, what did you struggle with even like, even after looking at the YouTube thing? Um, getting YouTube started, <laughs> getting, st- getting started is the hardest part. Um, and this is something that I've heard a lot of people say who've like tried to get in, into photography, especially as people who like photography isn't your, main interest because I think for most of us it's not photography it's the hair that's the main interest um when I first got my camera and started messing around with it and trying to figure out how to put it on like manual settings and do manual exposure and all of those things um I pretty much took like six photos with my camera and then put it back in the box and there it sat for about six months before I picked it up again Uh um so really the hardest part is to just get started I think a lot of people are afraid to get started with things that they're intimidated by because we're afraid to fail but nobody is going to be perfect a hundred percent of the time um this is a conversation that I have with my husband a lot that perfect is the enemy of good you know and sometimes you just have to get good before you can be perfect so that's the advice that I give people is it's best to just get started I love that yeah that quote right yeah perfect is the enemy of good yeah yeah then it's spot on yeah yeah you know that's so cool that's another one of our t-shirts we we have a whole (laughs) t-shirt line eventually (laughs) with with our guests with one particular phrase in the middle of somewhere and i think this is it (laughs) at the beginning of the podcast we got it that's so that's so awesome and it's it's so right i wish we could call it mm-hmm. something other than failure right i, I wish we could yep. call it like something that, that that was seen as a little bit more positive like oh well that was like a step or that was a you know whatever you know because yeah they're all lessons basically that's it right you know yeah. it wasn't a yep. failure it was a lesson right right yep yep unless you get an f 
<laughs> then it is a failure. Yeah, I got a couple of those in school. <laughs> well, good thing is in life we don't get Fs, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> well, her F was when she put the when she put the camera back in the box for six months. Right. Exactly. Right? Yes. Exactly. That, that was her F. Yeah. It was, it was, it yep. was not. <laughs> Not yep. not moving forward. Incomplete. <laughs> right. Incomplete. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So yeah, I'm, I got to be honest. That's where I am. You know, like I'm interested mm -hmm. in like like fiddling with the camera and stuff. And I think that that's yep. why I'm spending so much time here. But like, you know, like it's like, okay, do I want like like uh, aperture or do I want you know like you know what is it you know yeah the white balance or whatever. It's just crazy to me. I, I just yeah yeah. There's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. It's pretty complicated. I mean, when I started doing it too, um, a lot of the YouTube, the photographers that I was watching on YouTube, they were saying like to get started, the best thing to do is just take your camera with you everywhere and take pictures of everything. So that's what I did. It wasn't even just taking pictures of hair. It's more just learning how to adjust your camera for different lighting situations and different types of subjects and that will teach you more of how to deal with like hair and your actual subject and everything like that. So that's what I started doing. I made myself just take my camera everywhere. That's good advice. That is mm -hmm. good advice, you know, yep. and, and also take it off the automatic. Uh, yes. Uh, 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 yeah. Uh, just setting. make yourself deal with it. Like you just have to yeah. kind of like make yourself like deal with some crappy pictures. Yeah. <laughs> the good thing about digital is, is that, you just push delete, you know, it's not yeah, like, exactly. like, it's not like yeah. 20 years ago or 30 years ago where you had to like, actually like, you know, get them developed and then go, yep. Oh, think yep. about what the, and, and I think we've literally seen it in our industry, right? Like think about the turnaround now on imagery or, or, or being amazing. a photographer, right? Right. Like, mm -hmm. like, like your learning curve is huge now, right? Yep. Because you can yep. see it immediately. It's instant. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yep. I can't even imagine you take this picture and you're like, oh, and then, you know, three weeks later, you realize that it was a crap picture and you can't right. make an adjustment on the fly. You have a hundred yeah. roles you got to develop. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's so crazy. I can't even imagine. Mm. Well, I'm glad we live when we do. Right. I know, seriously. Right. <laughs> That's so crazy. And and all this with, with this conversation right now, it's just about the the stuff that she's capturing, right? I mean, this, we're just talking about the the, the photography photography part of it. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? We're not even talking about what she's doing. No, exactly. You know what I mean? Her, <laughs> the actual <laughs> image. I know. Well, I, 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 I was about to ask, like, so, I mean, now I, I'm going to assume that now once something's in your head, you have enough ability to capture it. Yeah, definitely. Now, when I get an idea for something, I definitely um, am able to capture it a lot more easily than I used to. And I have more like ideas and I'm able to be more creative because I do understand like how the settings work and how to create certain effects and, and that sort of thing. So that's so cool. Yeah. And what other what other hobbies do you have other than photography and hair? <laughs> um. I mean, that's like 99% of what I do. <laughs> um, I also started doing YouTube lately, which is also, of course, hair related. Um, other than that, like if I have any spare moments, I do play like video games and stuff. But that's literally like hair takes up 99% of my of my work time, my free time, everything. It's crazy. Well, we appreciate the, the, that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, talk about video games. <laughs> we, we i remember being addicted to video games and now uh -huh. 
I have an 18 year old son and I can't even, I mean, I feel like I'm a two year old when I play against him. <laughs> he holds the controller completely different. Like just, he's throwing gang signs. With oh the, my, uh, yeah. I'm like, dude, how are you doing that? And I was like, well, even if you told me, I, can't, I still can't do it. <laughs> the dexterity's so, yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious! Hey, Caitlin, when did um when did you become a uh, a uh, uh, copywritten and um and, and and do your fringe thing? Let's talk about that inspired. <laughs> what inspired that? So I started doing this back in uh 2017. Um, uh-huh. and basically the overall inspiration for it was I you know I'd been doing all these like I call them like horizontal placements. So when you mm-hmm. see like the lines running horizontally with the color. And in my own hair, I didn't really have a lot creative going on with it for a while. I did have like a yellow ombre going on, but I wanted something that spoke a little bit more to like that horizontal color work that I was doing. And something that kind of like came into my head was something that I always heard like throughout my years in this industry, which was you should always have your hair done the way that you, the way that you want people to kind of look at you. You know what I'm saying? So like if you're working in a professional salon environment, you know, you should maybe have some balayage because then your clients will be inspired to get balayage. And so basically I decided to do kind of the same thing with my hair. Um, But I wanted something that I could like touch up myself and something that I was going to be able to maintain and sort of this idea to do like just a rainbow bang kind of popped in my head. And I was like, oh, that seems kind of obvious. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. So, cause I was doing shine lines and all kinds of stuff like that at the time. So I was like, it's going to be like a shine line in my bang. So it started with that. Um, and, um, the first time I did it, it was kind of a collaboration between me and my friend, um, Christina Cheeseman, who I'm sure you guys are familiar with. Um, also St. Louis based hairstylist, amazing, talented hairstylist. Uh, so I told her she was actually just about to hit 10,000 followers at the time. So I told her, Hey, this is the idea that I want. This is how I want you to place it. I bet you we could, we could get you to 10 K if we post this, this, um, this whole concept. So that's what we did. And then I just started doing it myself from there. So did she hit it? Yeah, so you can't, can't leave this. She did. Yeah, she's doing okay. She's doing all right now. Yeah, she's, right. she's at like fifty thousand followers or something right now. So she's doing okay for herself. Yeah. And she can thank Caitlin for for all those. You know? Right. <laughs> so so do you feel? Uh, do you, do you feel? Well, I meant that she hit it like in that moment. In that no, moment, I know. I know. You know? I know yeah. yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So. So do you feel like, uh, like if I see like a, like a rainbow fringe and we see a lot of them now, especially mm-hmm. at the hair shows and stuff and yep. every single time it's Caitlin Ford in my head, right? Like, yeah. it's like, like you own that look, you know, uh-huh. no matter who's wearing it, um, it, it's your patent. Do you feel kind of like, uh, you feel like you can't change now? Um, I do in some regards, but also I don't want to, you know, like I feel like it has become um, my brand in sort of like a helpful kind of way, you know, because Mm -hmm. it does like people do kind of recognize me because of my hair. And so it's kind of cool to be able to have that kind of connection. It's my logo now. And um, I love your so, logo, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Cool. That, yeah. that was actually my husband designed that. He's he's a uh, a graphic designer, so he created that for me. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think that it is kind of like my, my signature. It's sort of like how cartoon characters kind of wear the same outfit every day and that's how you can know them. Um, so that's go Charlie Brown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. That's gotta so... keep that continuity. That's right. I know. That's crazy, isn't it? It's so yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I guess moving forward a little bit. So, uh, we met, we, we met at the after party at, 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 at behind the chair. Uh-huh. Um, and, and you had just come off the stage cause you had just won, um, uh, your one shot, which by the way, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Dope. And, um, I had a pretty, uh, I had a pretty emotional reaction to you in your speech and, <laughs> and, and just how, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, basically you, you, you how much you've overcome and, and mm-hmm. let's go back a little bit. Can, can we go back to uh, what was it? October of uh, 2018. Yep. Like, yep. Uh, like, like, like set that stage, um, you know, kind of get into what happened, uh, how it happened and yeah. yada yada. And then, yeah, we'll talk for about, sure. then we'll talk about how, uh, what the response was. Yeah. Yeah. So it was on October 3rd and uh, basically I, I was creating um, some shelves for for work. I had actually just started in my studio earlier that summer, and I had some time between clients. I actually had a pretty big gap in my day, and I had these like shelf brackets, and I had been wanting to to put up these shelves for a while. And so I was looking at the time, and I was like, "Oh, I have plenty of time to go home and you know like rip a couple of awards, and then I'll be back like in time for my next client, and then I'll be able to." finish putting these products on the, on these shelves. Um, so I pretty much made the, the one mistake that you're not supposed to do whenever you're touching a table saw. And that is you should never ever touch a table saw if you're in a hurry or you're like distracted by something. It should always be something that you have set that time aside to work with the saw exclusively. So Um, I went home and I was cutting, um, some boards for these shelves and literally I was three boards away from being finished and I, uh, was, was running this, this board through to cut the width down and the table saw kicked back. And so for, for anyone who's not familiar with what kickback is, it is a, it's the number one most common cause of injury with a table saw. It's very, very dangerous. Um, and what happens is like the, the wood will get hung up on the blade. And because the torque of the saw is so powerful, it'll kind of throw the blade towards you. But if you're pushing against the board, it will suck the wood back in and it all happens in like a split second. So the, the um, table saw kicked back and it tossed the board towards me and my hands were on either side of the blade. Um, and because of that, that jerking, my hand slid sideways. And because I was pushing on the board at the same time, it sucked the blade back through the saw and, it, and my finger was, was right there and it, it took my finger off. And a lot of people um, have left me comments like, why didn't you like just pull your hand away like as you realize that it was going through your finger? But I cannot impress enough to people that this happens like literally in a split second. There is no, there's no time to think. It happens lightning fast. Luckily, I was pulling my hand away 
um, at the same time that this was happening because my thumb would have come off next. If I would not have had the wherewithal to pull my hand away as this was happening, it would have taken my thumb off too because that was, that was the direction it was headed. So that was what happened. Um, so of course I started like screaming bloody murder. I was just absolutely like just horrified, like in my own head, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I just watched this happen. Like I remember every single second of it. Um, and I am just, this is not real. Like in my head, I'm just like, this is not real. This is not real. So I grab my hand, I start putting pressure on it. Um, my neighbor next door heard me screaming. He ran into the yard. He helped me call, um, 911 um, to get an ambulance there and everything. And, uh, my husband actually, unfortunately had like about 45 minutes before this happened. He had, uh, taken his bike cause he, he rides a bike for exercise. Um, he had driven his bike about 45 minutes away from the house and was like 20 minutes into, into his bike ride. Um, so try to get a hold of him and everything like that. So got an ambulance ride to the hospital um, and then, you know, met with surgeons eventually after getting, you know, uh, admitted and all of that fun stuff. And so, so Caitlin, let me, uh-huh. I'm going to slow you down just a little bit. Yeah, so yeah. when, when, when you lost the finger, like, like now we see that, mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the, it's, it, it looks like it's part of your hand that's missing as well. Did it, did it, was that the initial cut or did you, or, or was that just, was that post-surgery? Um, actually it literally, they try to save the finger. They, so yes, they did try to save the finger. Um, and it is just the finger that's missing. So it's pretty much all the way to like this, this knuckle bone you guys can see. So that's where Mm -hmm. it is. So I didn't even have any like broken bones to heal or anything like that afterwards. They just took the entire thing off because there was literally like a little, splinter of a bone shard left of, of, of the base of my finger. There wasn't even enough left to leave like a nub or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, they, they did try to save the finger. Um, and there was like a whole like ordeal that I went through with that. It was, it was pretty, pretty awful, like the roller coaster of emotions. And they did tell me from the beginning that, you know, fingers are, are, um, difficult to reattach because, you know, you're dealing with like teeny tiny little arteries and, and nerves and these types of things. And usually when you do get your finger reattached, you have very limited mobility with it. You have pretty much chronic pain with it. I, I def, I told the surgeon when she was warning me of all the, all of these possible things, I was like, I don't care. You know, I want to try to reattach it. And the hospital that I at, I was at was actually like the, um, it, it's definitely the number one hospital, um, probably in the Midwest for hand surgery. Like we have, they have amazing, amazing hand specialists there. So if anyone was going to get it reattached, it was going to be them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, the first day um, when I, when I was in the hospital, I woke up. Um, and actually, you know, speaking to like the, the, the industry support and everything like that, this is kind of like the moment cause I went into this first surgery. I, I met with the surgical team, um, and I was going into the surgery feeling beyond down because I felt, I felt like an idiot. I felt like, I, I felt like, um, 
I, I just felt really, really stupid. You know, it's kind of like when you stub your toe and then you're kind of like, hi, hey, you moron. Like, why'd you do that? You know, <laughs> yeah. you just feel like an idiot. So, <laughs> so I was just really dreading like people, um, um, you know, learning about what happened to me. Cause I was like, everyone that I know is going to think that I'm an idiot. Talking about and, people learning what happened to you. Yeah. I mean, what ha I mean, when your husband came back from his bike ride and he mm -hmm. learned what happened to you on a cell phone, obviously <laughs> yeah. you're already at the hospital and, you know, maybe being prepped for surgery. I mean, how, what was his reaction? I mean, did he just come to the hospital all sweaty yeah, he, and salty? He met, he met me in the hospital in his cycling gear, like covered in sweat. And, you know, so he hoofed it back to, uh, back to St. Louis so that he could get to me and everything. Um, yeah. So he was, yeah, and that was another that. thing. Yeah. yeah, I was definitely dreading uh, his reaction as well. I was like, oh, my God, my husband's <laughs> going to think I'm a fucking idiot. Mm -hmm. um, like, so, I, yeah, I was... I, being a husband myself, I can't imagine, like, you know, just finishing my workout, feeling all good, and all of a sudden, uh -huh. you know... I, Oh wow! I got all these messages from from my wife, and I'm, then I'm, yeah, you know it's horrible. It's horrifying, right? It's like oh my god, mm -hmm. yeah. You kind of like feel that hey, I wasn't there, or you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I after we got a hold of nine one one, me and my neighbor got a hold of nine one one. I had him help me call my husband because obviously I could not. I couldn't pick up my phone and and dial my husband or anything. So when I did finally get a hold of him and I explained to him what was happening, he thought it was a joke at first, but not really a joke. He didn't think it was as serious as what it was because, mm -hmm. you know, like sometimes things get exaggerated. And uh, so he, he th definitely thought it was not as bad. He thought I like nicked my finger or something like mm -hmm. that. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I cut my finger off like entirely. He was like, he, he was vetting you. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. How serious is this actually? So yeah, wow. no, he realized really fast that it was, it was as serious as any amputated finger. It was really bad. <laughs> You said when you were going into surgery that you were feeling kind of down, but you know, I kind of went back and I read those first couple posts when your injury happened and, and, you know, I don't know if you intended it or not, but, but it almost felt like you had like a little sense of humor about it and not, not like mm -hmm. a ha ha sense of humor, but like, Hey guys, guess what I just did. You know, it was kind of that yeah. kind of a kind of, I don't know if you've read them since, but that's what you uh -huh. said. <laughs> you yep, know, yep. Um, yep. she said, guess what guys, it's not a Nick. It's a whole thing. It's the whole <laughs> yeah. finger. And I think yeah. that was kind of what you said, or that was kind of you know uh -huh. uh, what it felt like. So like, how did you, I mean, even in hindsight, like I'm, blo I'm blown away um, that, that, that you even had like that kind of perspective on it at that moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, that's kind of how I deal with, um, with, with bad stuff is with dark humor and I get in kind of a place, well, there's nothing I can do about it. So mm -hmm. it is what it is. And so I definitely did kind of joke about it um, because that was, that was the best way for me to kind of deal with it. You know, that was the easiest way for me to kind of deal with that really hard situation. And um, so, yeah, I, I definitely remember like making some jokes and, and, and that kind of thing. Cause I think whenever you're in a situation like that, if you can find something to smile and laugh about, at least that will kind of keep you afloat, you know, right. she kind of got it from her husband when he was vetting her. Right. So, so when you're, so you're there and you're trying to get, they're trying to save your finger, right? Yeah. At what point did they said, we cannot save this. 
and what was your reaction to it? Man, so um, the first the first day I woke up, I woke up from surgery and, you know, like I said, going into surgery was a super low point. When I woke up the first day from surgery, it was like a super high point. Um, I actually woke up to like over a thousand messages on my phone of just like encouragement and support, like the entire industry just raining down, like just love bombs on me, which was amazing and definitely much needed at the time. Um, and that first day, everything was looking up. When I woke up, uh, my surgeons had said that my my pulse in my reattached finger was the same as it was in my other finger, which is like unheard of. It was amazing, you know. And I was not supposed to have like anything solid to eat for the next 24 hours in case I needed to go back into surgery. They were feeling so confident by that evening that they allowed me to actually eat food. Um, and so everything in the beginning was looking really, really positive. And by the way, this first surgery took 12 hours. Um, oh. it was 12 hours. It was done under a microscope because they had to reattach all those little teeny tiny arteries and everything like that. So this is a very precision surgery. So the evening of that very first day, they told me that I would have a care team coming in to change my bandages and fit me for a splint the next morning. And I remember kind of thinking the splint thing, thing seemed kind of odd because I was supposed to be there for um, five to seven days of recovery to make sure that there were no blood clots and everything was attaching the way that it was supposed to and working the way that it was supposed to. And so um, the next morning I woke up and just so you know, like when I first woke up from the surgery and for these next five to seven days of recovery, my arm was suspended um, in this like this like cast and they had it wrapped up in this big inflatable. It looked like an inflatable like bounce house or something. And it was being pumped with hot air. It was called a bear hugger and it's being pumped with hot air and it's supposed to help circulate blood flow to your limb. Every there they have you on blood thinners, everything that they can do to keep the blood flowing without it clotting. And this is really important. The room was also heated to um, 85 degrees. So it was very wow. hot. And I can't remember what they called it. It's something like the tropical protocol or something like that. <laughs> right. It's literally like they keep the room hot to keep your, your blood flowing. So the next morning when the, the care team came in, um, in order to do the bandage change, obviously they had to take my arm down and um, take the, the bear hugger off. I had been told throughout this entire process how important it was to keep my arm suspended and in heat. Um, so they, they do the bandage change, and then this woman comes in to make a splint for me. And that was kind of the moment where things kind of started to, like, be off. So she started to fit me for the splint, and she seemed like she was really kind of, like, struggling with it. She was knocking into my finger, and my finger was, like, hooked up to a pulse monitor. And I just remember it was taking a really long time. Like, it was taking a long enough time to where – all of those things that they had said before about like your arm needs to be suspended, your arm needs to be staying in the heat. Like that is like playing in my head. I'm like kind of tapping my foot like, okay, let's like get this ball on the ro on the roll, you know. And all of a sudden that pulse monitor that's in my finger just flatlined. And so my nurse ran in um, 
and he was just like, you know, how long has her arm been out? How long has it been out of heat? They, they, he starts using another little Doppler monitor to try and find like the pulse of my finger, can't find it. They call the uh, surgical team to get somebody in. They come in, they start looking for the pulse, they can't find it. And they're like, uh, it looks like, you know, this is, this is not going the direction that we were hoping it was going to go in right now. Uh, they said, um, we think that there's probably like a clot in your finger. And so we'll take you into another surgery to, to try and clear that out. But because they had already been so confident about, you know, my recovery and everything like that, I had already eaten dinner the night before breakfast that morning. So I had to wait hours until mm -hmm. I was able to go back into surgery um, until that food was digested because you can't eat food when you go into surgery. So they took me back into surgery and I actually have a, um, a scar on my wrist as well. A lot of people ask like, did you get that from the table saw too? That was from my second surgery. So when they went to go clear out the clot, usually what happens if you have a blood clot, they'll stick like almost like a pipe cleaner thing through your, your vein to clear it out. Um, but with the arteries that are in your finger, they're so teeny and delicate, they can't do that because that'll just like tear them to shreds. So the arteries had to be replaced completely. So they grafted mm -hmm. arteries from my wrist and put them in my finger. And um, I woke up from that surgery which I think that second surgery was like about six hours long or something. Um, I woke up from that second surgery and the surgeons were there and they basically told me like, um, Caitlin, we're really sorry. Like whenever you woke up from your surgery initially, um, you had a pulse in your finger for about an hour and a half and then it just, it stopped again. And they said, unfortunately at this point, every time we go back in and put you under and try to do this again, because these, these, you know, every, every functioning element of your finger is so delicate, the less chance of success that we have. And, you know, we would encourage you to think about, you know, going ahead and, and letting us amputate this finger. And so that was just like the moment of just like being like completely crushed. Cause you go in with this high of like, everything's looking up, you know, I'm going to get to keep this finger. And then you end up finding out, nope, you're actually going to be losing this finger. And so they said, we're going to, we're going to give it a chance. We're going to see if like the, the arteries are spasms. We're going to let you go a whole day with it still on to see if we can kind of like revive it or whatever. And it's just like every time, um, the nurse came in to check it like the color was looking worse and like it was just really bad I mean, it was pretty clear that this was this was no longer a uh, a living body part and um, That's so the next morning they had to they had to take it off. Oh my god. I can't yeah, so when you brought the nurse back in did the Did they say that because your hand was out of that that bear hugger and not elevate it for all that time when they were trying to fit you for the splint had anything to do with that finger losing its pulse? So my surgeons, I went for a follow-up after this happened with, with my surgical, uh, a couple of, of surgeons for my surgical team, cause they were pissed. They were really upset that this happened. Obviously that, cause this was a lot of work for them. 
to have, you know, just go down the drain. They completely passed the buck onto the care team. Um, they said that there was, one of my surgeons was just mind blown. He was like, I don't even understand why they're fitting you for a splint. They could have done that on the very last day. Your arm is going to be suspended. There was no need for it because they were going to put the splint on and then take it off. And then I was going to go home with it. So why did it need to be done that day? So they did a hundred percent pass the buck onto the care team. Um, a lot of people have asked me, like, do you plan on, like, pursuing a lawsuit or, or anything like that? The thing is, when I went into the surgery, surgery initially, they told me that there were a lot of risks with it. This is a complicated surgery. Um, and so with something like that, it's really hard to determine the exact reason why it failed. But also, when you're talking about a medical lawsuit – you're talking about a reattached limb. And also because my hand is so functional now, um, there probably wouldn't be a chance of recovering much financially from a lawsuit in, in this case, from Sometimes what I understand. More, more than the money is, is the lesson learned. Hopefully the yeah. care team learn. Hey, Absolutely. Let's, let's do this at the end and not the yeah. day after. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the, the, my surgeons did say, like, we, like, laid into the care team that that was unacceptable. They shouldn't have had your arm down for that long. And um, they were like, we stressed to the care team how important it is that these limbs stay suspended in heat for a, as long and as consistently as possible. And we're very disappointed in this outcome. So they 100% passed the buck onto the care team, specifically having the splint made. So nobody really knows why that was being done the day that it was being done. Um, so how do, how, do, how do you like, and maybe you haven't, but like, I'd be pissed, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, um, it was, it's very hard not to get focused on that kind of thing. You know, I think that, uh, mentally you have to put yourself in a state of you, you have two, two choices. You can sit there and you can get angry about all of the, the what ifs, um, or you can accept reality for what it is. I can't change what happened. The only thing that I can do is take the hand that I've been given literally and go forward with it. And so that is what I've chosen to do. Um, that's why I haven't chosen to pursue really any legal action outside of like talking, um, a couple of times with lawyers. Cause it's just not worth it. Like, um, I just think that, you know, like, getting this kind of like righteous anger about like, Oh, this happened to me and kind of wallowing in that self pity is just not, um, it's just not valuable and it's just not productive, you know? Yeah. Cause you can, you can end up getting stuck in that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And That's... I think a lot of people who have gone through injuries and chronic pain, it's very easy to get stuck in that. Or and more, just anything in life you, you can get yeah. stuck in, you know, look what happened to me or, yep. you know what I mean? And, and yep. that's what you become or that's where you stay. Oh, yeah. and, and thank God you didn't do that because look at you now. I mean, mm -hmm. so let's talk about now we're making this transition into, okay, you're like, you're crushed. You know, mm -hmm. you, you lost your finger. Now yep. you got to come to, to, to grips with, okay, how am I going to get past this or how am I going yeah. to overcome this? Let's talk about the recovery of it. And once mm -hmm. you, you know, I guess you, you had no choice to accept the, mm -hmm. the outcome of it. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah. So the recovery of it, it's really insane because they, they had told me like, had my finger been, there's always a silver lining, you know, had my finger been successfully reattached, I would have been out of work for eight weeks and I would have needed six months of physical therapy, um, for my hand and flexibility and all of that stuff having a finger amputated is a completely different story. It's a lot more of a simple process. Actually having my finger like re-amputated, that surgery took a grand total of, I think, an hour. Um, And then I went home literally, I think, four hours after surgery. It was nuts. So, yeah, it was really crazy. I didn't stay another night in the hospital. They sent me home that day. It was really, really wild. I was like, going to surgery that morning and then eating Taco Bell for dinner. (laughs) Yeah, it was really crazy. So um, I had three days after that until my first follow-up appointment with my surgeons to talk about uh, future outcomes with my hand and then also go into my very first occupational therapy session they they told me like and this is really the wild thing uh when i first went in for my surgery uh the first surgeon that i met actually told me you know you probably don't want to hear this right now but if you're going to lose a finger your index finger is actually the best one to lose because all of the fine pinch motion that you can do with your first finger you can do it with your middle finger as well and most of the functions that you perform with your first finger you kind of use your second finger at the same time anyway so you'll be able to kind of bounce back really quickly they told me i could go back to work in two weeks after after i took four weeks i was like i don't think i'm mentally prepared yet (laughs) to go back Um, and this is your dominant hand right yeah it is my dominant hand that was my question so is it your scissor hand or is it your hold hand it's my scissor hand. And honestly, like, cause a lot of people were like, Oh my God, it happened to her dominant hand, dominant hand. Um, it actually would have been worse if it would have been on my left hand because with my left hand, you know, I pull hair down. I use tension between these two fingers to hold sections. You can't hold the same kind of tension between these two fingers. Um, and you can kind of push those fingers together and, and feel that you can't hold that tension the same way. So it actually would have been worse if I would have cut my, my uh, index finger off of my other hand. Um, my, my other hand's a lot more functional without it. And like, even when you cut though, you barely, that, that's kind of a lame hand anyway. That's kind of yeah, a lame you don't, finger anyway. You don't use right? it a whole yeah. lot. I, you mostly use it like for balance. I would always rest my pointer finger on my scissors for balance. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of, a lot of people, which it's really crazy. So like three days after my surgery, like I said, I went in for my first occupational therapy. They told me use your hand as normally as possible. That's the best thing that you could do within reason, you know, don't tear your sutures or anything like that, but any, any, uh, function that you feel comfortable performing, do it. So I had a pair of scissors at home and I would just sit there and practice with it. And I did share on my Instagram myself using my scissors. Um, and I've I've watched that several times and, and, and amazed every time by you. Yeah. It's pretty phenomenal. So, um, uh, I posted that video and then Joel Torres saw that and he ended up posting a video of himself using his scissors without using his index finger. And it kind of started this like chain reaction of all these hairdressers posting in their stories, trying 
to use their scissors without their index finger. And it was really cool seeing like Joel Torres and a lot of other people, they're able to do it perfectly without their index finger. So that was like very, very encouraging. That's very, very cool. You know. Yeah, yeah. What um, uh, what about other stuff? What about you know foiling combs or putting foils in the hair and stuff like that? What what was that adjustment like? You know, it's really crazy because like you don't realize like whenever somebody tells you, hey, in two weeks you're gonna have pretty much the same amount of function in your hand. You might have lost a little hand strength, but for the most part, you're gonna have almost the same function in your hand. Um, that doesn't seem real until you kind of like actually do it. Mm -hmm. So foiling and everything, it was surprisingly pretty easy. When I first went back to work, I was running probably about 15 minutes behind on each client. Wow. And honestly, I think that's kind of normal anyway. <laughs> um, so, with or without a finger? <laughs> with or without a finger. I think that's pretty normal. Um, so yeah, almost everything was actually pretty easy. Like it was pretty, like everybody asked like, how did you relearn to use your hand? Cause I thought it was going to be a whole like relearning process, but mm -hmm. it was super easy. It was actually very straightforward. I think that it was more like the emotional recovery from it because right. I was definitely like traumatized. I had flashbacks every night right. for weeks and couldn't sleep. And I had phantom pains and those types of things. Those were a lot harder to deal with than actually like the function of my hand. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask next was the phantom pain. Yeah, is, me too. I wrote, real. I wrote it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So phantom pains are absolutely, absolutely real. So it's like phantom pains and phantom feelings. And um, my very first like phantom sensations actually happened when I was still in the hospital and my um, arm was suspended. I actually had a nerve blocker in my shoulder, so I couldn't feel anything in my arm from my shoulder all the way down to my hand. But I felt like my finger was still there, but it was just like wrapped under the bandages, folded folded down like that. Mm -hmm. And I, that sensation stayed. Um, it stayed even when I got home from the hospital, even on that first day, because my hand was wrapped up. I hadn't had the chance to see it yet. It just felt like my finger was there and it was, it was wrapped under. So, uh, I didn't, that feeling didn't go away until I had my first bandage change. And actually that was the first time that I got to see like my hand without the finger. Um, and then that was when like phantom pains like really started setting in. So every night, most people who have phantom pains, it's more severe at nighttime. Um, and so my two main, main sensations that I would have is it would feel like somebody was like pinching this middle knuckle as hard as possible with a pair of pliers. And it would also feel like somebody was taking a hot iron and just pressing down on that finger with like a burning mm. hot iron. And the, the crazy thing is like these types of pains are happening because your brain is sending, it's trying to fire signals to those nerves and it's not getting a response back. So it's continuing to send signals to be like, Hey finger, we're looking for you. Where are you? Paging <laughs> finger, where are you? And so you're, you're, uh, those nerves misfire and it, it ends up registering as pain. So there's a few things you can do for it. Um, very few things you can do for it. Regular pain medicine does not work on it at all. Um, gabapentin is a main like nerve medication. So I was on that, but that really did nothing for me. So I basically just kind of had to wait through it. My doctors told me, you know, the more that you 
you use your hand and especially once you get back to work since you work in an area where your hands are kind of in front of your face and you're seeing them while they're working your brain is going to start to make that mind body connection and it's going to start to fill in the blank so I did find that that was true. Like after I went back to work, the phantom pains did slowly start to go away. I do get them occasionally from time to time, but they're not nearly as severe as they used to be and not nearly as like prevalent insofar as like they're not like an everyday occurrence. It's like a once in a while thing now. Do you, do you talk to the pain? Like, listen, get out of here. I know you're not real. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's really weird because that's honestly kind of what you have to do. Like you have to like in your brain – sort of think like this is like not real and it, that's part of it is kind of like being mindful of it and and knowing that it's not real does that help with like uh this might be a stretch but i'm, I'm good for stretches <laughs> i mean have you used the same techniques to like talk down anxiety and stuff as well oh yeah definitely yeah so th- th- there's the lesson right it's all about <laughs> mindfulness right? that's so cool Have have you been more have you been more meditative or more mindful since the accident? Yes. Oh, yes. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, like I think that, so I was like, tw- I was 28 when this happened and, you know, I'm, I'm actually turning 30 next week. But one of the things that I've discovered about like my late twenties is I think that you kind of go through a lot of like, you understand how you start to understand how fast life is going. And when you have a trauma happen at that same time, you really understand how things can change in a blink of an eye. And, you know, you could go into your day thinking it's going to be just another normal day and then just something happens and, and completely wrecks it for you and, and can change your life, you know, in a, in a literal second. And so I definitely, um, Throughout my life, I've always, I have really bad anxiety and I, I have the tendency to kind of like get in my own head about things and, and think about things that don't really matter. So after this accident, I definitely feel like I started to understand how fast life goes and how easily it can change. And you shouldn't focus on, you know, these things that just don't matter and you shouldn't mm-hmm. focus your anger and just um, spending your thoughts on things that just do not matter. So I think that in a lot of ways it's changed me for the better as far as not focusing on stuff that just does not matter at the end of the day. Bravo. Preach it, preach it. Bravo. Happy yep. birthday, by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, oh, when's your birthday? What I miss? Sweet. Next week? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, happy yep. birthday, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, th- th- this is so inspiring, right? So not only is she coming overcoming adversity, you know what I mean? But she's changing her whole mental process about, uh, you know, how to control anxiety, how to over, you know, not, not focus on being a victim or focus on being so negative and caught up in that space. I mean, you grew so much as a person from such a horrific accident. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. It's amazing. Thank you. Really. Hey, who, um, who set up the GoFundMe for you? So Rebecca Taylor set up the GoFundMe for me. Okay, first yeah. off, let's applaud Rebecca. I mean, yeah. just, just, not just for this, but just everything that she does for the industry. And absolutely, um, we, we've been fortunate enough to where um, we're very friendly with Rebecca, and um, yeah, yeah, and, and we're we're big fans. Of her. I mean, were you just like you said you got a thousand like DMs or text messages, mm-hmm. you know, after your accident? Um, yeah. Let's go through the emotion of like what all that meant. 
Yeah. I mean, like I said, when I went in for my surgery, that was like the lowest low because at this point, the only people who knew about it, cause I told, you know, of course my husband, my family knew about it. And when I was going in for surgery, I was like, cause he, he, uh, and I and Rebecca and her boyfriend were actually working on a project together at the time. So we were communicating pretty regularly. So I told him, you know, I gave him permission to tell her and gave him permission to, you know, let her know that if she wanted to tell other people what happened, that that was, that was okay with me. So I went in with just like a handful of people knowing what I was going through at the time and came out with everybody knowing what was happening because <laughs> she had made a GoFundMe and made a big post about it and everything like that. And so I went in feeling like so down and so stupid and thinking like, what are people going to think about me? People are going to think that I'm an idiot and stuff like that to just like waking up and seeing like message after message after message, like thinking of you and, um, you know, like hang in there and, and just all of this encouragement and support, um, from, so many people in the industry. It was just unbelievable. You know, at the time I didn't really think that I was like, you know, I had like a following and stuff, but there were people with bigger followings and I, I didn't feel like, you know, I, I felt like kind of a blip on the radar as far as like, you know, the, the industry goes and everything. And that really kind of like awakened me. Like this is actually how many people are paying attention. And that's really, really crazy to see that. Um, so it was, it was, it was so emotional. I just woke up and my husband was like, you should check your phone. Mm -hmm. And I just look at it and I just like instantly started crying, like just, oh. just uncontrollably sobbing. Cause I just could not believe how many people were being like so kind and so supportive to me. That's amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm literally tearing up kind yeah. of telling the story yeah. you know? yeah. so back to start the podcast. Super, super proud of our industry. Yeah. Yeah. No and again, yeah. I don't know if this happens. I mean, I, I'm going to go out. It doesn't happen without the social media influence. It doesn't happen, you know, without us as hairdressers being able to connect hairdresser to hairdresser, you know, like, yeah, like, like when we started the podcast, that's kind of what we wanted to bring. We wanted to bring a mm -hmm. an area where we can connect, you know, to, to one to one as opposed to, you know, having to, you know, go through any other channels to connect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think social media has created, um, it's created all these like little sub communities of people with like certain interests, you know, you can, you can have a community in any interest and uh, hair is exactly the same way. And it's wild because social media has cr created sort of this camaraderie, I feel like around hairdressers, I feel like on social media, hairdressers tend to be very protective of one another and a lot more community focused and not nearly as competitive as even like inside of like a salon environment. You know what I'm saying? You know, the, the, this industry is so um, just notorious for being catty and full of drama and those types of things. But on social media in general, I don't think that's very true. You know, like people it really isn't, look it out It certainly isn't the majority, right? No, like it's, it's not. certainly, you know, like, 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 to, um, you know, we, we've said it a lot on the podcast, you know, uh, unfollow negativity, you know, hashtag oh, unfollow yeah. negativity, you know, yeah. and, and I think that we're starting to evolve into, I think that there was a time um, where, you know, we were, we were bringing back back room stuff 
to social oh, yeah. media, but I think that, but I think that social media is kind of, or, you know, certainly our industry, the people that are mm-hmm. in it are, are starting to move past that. And, oh, yeah. you know, you know, take Rebecca Taylor, take, you know, we're, we're friendly with, um, I'm name dropping here, but you mm-hmm. know, our, like our friend Philip and, and, and all these like mm-hmm. people that, that are, that are, kind of, are, are really kind people. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and they're really sweet people. And I think I think that I think that the the kind cream comes to the top. You know? It does. And, and, it and, does. and if if you're playing in that negative space, I, I don't think that you're you're not going to get the recognition that you're looking for. No, you're definitely not. And, um, you know, I, I have definitely in the past, there's been posts that I've made that have been sort of like that backroom industry negativity. And it's something that I've completely eliminated from my platform altogether because first of all, when you do that stuff, it makes you less relatable to your audience because not everybody understands what you're talking about. You know, not everybody understands the specifics of like the instance that's causing you to make that post. Uh, But second of all, putting yourself in that negative headspace constantly is just sort of setting yourself up to just be an angry, unhappy person. And there have been several people on social media who I've seen, it's almost like they kind of weed themselves out. You know, they get in these negative mindsets, they sort of start wars and drama with all these different people for all these little reasons. And it's almost like the industry kind of like puts them in a corner and says, all right, well, we're not going to deal with you, you know? Was this, when you were doing these, um, and thank you, by the way, for admitting that, that, that you played the, uh, can we call it the mean girl thing? You know, oh, yeah. Not just girl, yeah, but backroom sure. stuff, you know, because uh-huh. boys are certainly guilty of it too. Thank, thank you for admitting to that because, because I oh, think yeah. that that's a big takeaway as well. Was Definitely. that, bef- were those posts before or after the accident or both? Oh, that was before. That was yeah. before. Yeah. And that was definitely something that I had to, and it, like I said, it was never anything like specific. I would never like call anybody out or anything like that. It was just focusing on the things that I was really unhappy with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it's one thing to recognize the things in an industry that's not making you happy. But then there's an understanding of I can't really do anything about this. And I should just, you know, kind of focus on the things that I do have control over and kind of move from there. You know what I'm saying? So that was you know, one part of me kind of learning this lesson of like life is short and don't focus on, don't focus on this crap. You mentioned life lesson, which is perfect because Mm -hmm. if you talk about negativity and that's your focus and you get caught up in it, guess what? That brings more negativity. Yes. So you build that mountain versus you had a a nice shift to where you focus on positivity and the good things in your life and look Mm -hmm. at you now. It's nothing but beautiful goodness you know what I mean yep. and that's where yep. you're building your mountain that's so great so yep. if you had any la anything you want to you know especially to our audience uh what advice would you give them um I mean I definitely think I would say definitely try to focus on like the good it's it can be hard and I've actually even talked about on my page like there, there, it's kind of a fine balance because there is a point where you kind of have to face reality. Not everything is positive rainbows and sunshine and all these things all the time. Uh, I think it's important to be like a realist, but at the end of the day, you know, when you're focused, when you are going through something hard, you do reach kind of a crossroads where you can continue down this path of sort of wallowing in that, in that that really bad place or you can 
you can change what you ac actually do have control over and you can take that and uh, as a learning lesson and move forward and just try to do the best that you can, you know, um, it's so important to make sure you don't get focused on like, like if you're working in a salon, don't get focused on backroom gossip, you know, don't get focused on all of that negativity. Cause it's going to, it's going to drag you down. If you continue to focus on, well, these are all the, the thinking about, these are all the chips that are stacked up against me. If you're always thinking about the chips that are stacked up against you, you're never, ever going to succeed um, because you're so wrapped up in this is why I can't. This is why I'm failing. You need to focus on, well, what do I have control over? What can I change and, mm -hmm. and work with that? I love that. Well um, very well said. It, you know, it, it's funny, like, you know, social media at times gets gets a bad rap because it's everybody's perfect life. You know, you yeah. hear that all the time. Like everybody should. And I got to tell you, I think that that's beautiful because I would much rather compete with your beautiful life than compete with your negative life. Right. Yes, absolutely. You know, I want to race you to the finish line. For know? sure. So yeah. if that's if that's if that's like Tony said, if that's your beautiful, positive mountain, I'd rather compete there than than, than compete to be on the top of your negative mountain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, we, yeah. we want to give you big thanks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Much, much love. Well, thank completely. you guys so much. Caitlin, um, before uh, we're going to sign off here in a sec, but before we mm -hmm. sign off, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Caitlin Ford Hair, and you can also find me on YouTube. I am doing, I have done like a big, big old focus on YouTube this year. I have tons of really amazing free education on YouTube. And if you just look up my name in the search search bar Caitlin Ford you can see a ton of really awesome videos I've had a lot a lot a lot of growth on YouTube this year which has been amazing so definitely go check out my YouTube channel if you haven't checked me out over there um so yeah those are my two main outlets on social media and Caitlin is c-a-i-t-l-i-n correct yes yeah okay, yeah so, <laughs> so so Caitlin Ford Miss Caitlin Ford, you you've touched my heart. Um, thank you very much for giving us uh, giving us this time or your time. Um, yeah. And and just you know from from the entire industry, thank you, thank you for uh, for for again. I I love I love this 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 shift that that, mm -hmm. that that you had. You know whether it was the accident or whether it was just normal growth. Thank you for that growth and thank you for sharing that. Oh growth. yeah, well thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a and, pleasure. And once again, Caitlin Ford, thank you very very much for joining us on your day off. Thank you. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> Yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. Peace and hair grease.